The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world. And with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today I'm very excited to have as my guest, Barbara Corcoran, and we'll be discussing 10 ways to lead your team to greatness. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Barbara. Her credentials, and I love this, (laughs) include straight D's in high school and college and 20 jobs by the time she turned 23. It was her next job that would make her one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the country. Barbara borrowed $1,000 to start the Corcoran Group, which grew to become New York's largest real estate company. So Barbara's talent in finding the right people for her team and inspiring them to greatness is one of the key reasons for her success. And today, Barbara is one of the sharks on ABC's hit TV show Shark Tank, and her newest book, Shark Tales, takes you behind the scenes of her life and business, including her brilliant ability to identify both an opportunity and talent, often invisible to others, which fuels her success in venture capitalism. So, Barbara, what a treat to have you on my show today, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights. And what a nice introduction. Thank you for that. I, I'm oh. falling in love with myself just hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all should do, so thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> And so I'm really inspired by your path to success. You know, in high school, you were probably one of the last students that the student, <laughs> the school guidance counselor would have picked to be successful. Why do you think you didn't succeed in those early systems like high school and college and your first 20 jobs? And what was different about the next job or what was different about you that motivated you to take out a loan and start your own business? Okay, well, there are two questions in there. One, why didn't I succeed in school? Uh, it was simply because I, I couldn't learn. I didn't have the ability to read and write, and I didn't really learn to read basic language until I was almost, I guess, the end of sixth grade. I remember reading something and feeling like I understood what it was saying, you know, some very simple storyline. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to have a certain gift to do well in school, and it's the gifts that it takes to uh, understand language. And I just didn't have that gene in my body. I, mm-hmm. I had a, a nine sisters and brothers, and out of the nine sisters and brothers, three of us were the school dunces, and seven of us never opened a book and were at the top of the class. So I imagine I was probably intelligent, but I just 
lack that gene to learn how to read and write. But lucky for me, I had a much more important gene or gift in life, which was my mother. And uh, she had her hands filled with raising 10 children on a shoestring budget, as you could imagine how busy she was. But yeah. uh, she didn't pay much credence to that. She, I remember one day coming home from school and crying because the nun from hell, Sister Stella Marie in our little Catholic school, told me if I didn't pay attention, I'd always be stupid. And the way she oh. said stupid, it put a label on me. And I realized that's what's wrong with me. I'm stupid. I just thought I was a daydreamer. And when I cried and cried because of the embarrassment of that in front of the class, uh, my mother just, her way of handling it, she just, I think she first asked me to move my feet so she could sweep under the table. It was after dinner. And then she said, you know, don't even worry about it. You have an amazing imagination, Barbara, and you're going to learn to fill in all the blanks. So she didn't wow. like, uh, you know, we did, couldn't have tutors. She didn't have time to teach reading. I mean, she barely get the food on the table. But what she had the ability to do is to motivate me and focus on what I did have, which was a fabulous imagination. And so mm-hmm. I was the king or queen of my neighborhood making chalk games, starting clubs, I was extremely popular in my neighborhood, but when I got to school, of course, I was a dunce. So I had two, two people to really choose from, and I chose when I grew up to be the barber that my mother loved, that barber, not the loser. And then, of course, when you get into the work world, what do you really need? You need a gift that you could monopolize on. And my gift was I was great with people. That's it. That's mm. all I had, but that's a big card to play out in life. Well, yeah, and I just want to say, too, that your mother not only gave you that gift, but she role modeled how you could do that for others, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. I I almost feel looking back at my entire career to date with building the Corcoran Group, then selling it, now building 27 businesses in, in, in hand with my entrepreneurs that I've invested in Shark Tank so far, I actually feel like I'm a less good version of my own mother because mm-hmm. the one thing she had is she could identify the gift in anyone from a mile away and more importantly act on it and only emphasize it and, and choose to ignore the negative and that's exactly what I found I do with building my first business and building all these little businesses along mm-hmm. with my entrepreneurs. I'm just focused on what are they good at and how can we really make a killing with their gift and I have that innate ability simply because I had that wonderful role model that we all grew up under. And uh, thank God for that. I can't imagine life without that, honestly, how it would have played out so differently for me. Boy, what a gift. I'm just curious, do your uh, siblings have this gift as well? You know, each of my siblings are very, very good with people. They're all very personable, very likable um, they are all positive people and have great families. I'm not, I'm not saying we don't have our set of weird circumstances in our family like every family does, but I have to say my mother's power of positive motivation uh, has really filtered down through the generations, without a doubt. And if I could just give my dad just a moment of joy, <laughs> although he didn't perform that same uh, same position in our family um, as my mother did, the one thing we got from my dad was insubordination because my dad really was someone who should have had his own business, very headstrong, a natural leader, um, really had a strong opinion, was very practical, but he never had the option to work for himself. And so he was fired from every job he ever had within a year because he would tell the boss exactly where to go. And when he came home from work early, we would run to that table in the kitchen rather than six o'clock. We were there the minute he walked in because we couldn't wait to hear his cowboy story of how he told the boss to go take the job and shove it. 
And we said, <laughs> yay, Dad! Like, he was our real cowboy hero growing up. Of course, my mother wanted to kill him every time, didn't know how she was going to put food on the table. But you know what we got from my dad? We each grew up knowing we were going to work for, each, for ourselves versus mm. the next guy. And I don't think anyone ever expressed it or even thought it. But do you know, out of my nine siblings, only one, and she's a hospice nurse, so although she's working for someone, she's very independent, all of us have our own businesses. And that we got from our dad, because we thought, why would we want to work for the next guy? How horrible would that be, you know? (laughs) Well, and back, I don't know, probably in your dad's day, that was the safer thing to do, but now it really isn't, because there's no security in a a career job anyway. It's it's much safer to do your own thing. guy on that, because certainly he didn't have... Any security in his multiple jobs. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, because of his great personality. Wow. Yeah. So, um, one of the... Oh, go ahead. Did you want to I'm say sorry, something I'm else? just laughing. I just had a picture of my dad at that table yet again. <laughs> <laughs> he probably looked forward to all the interest when he would come in the door. Oh, it was, it was the... It was the bump in our lives that were uh, the exciting points that made us feel like we were living in Hollywood. We had oh. a sitcom in our house before sitcoms were even on our <laughs> black and white TV set, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you think about it, that would really would have made an amazing TV show, huh? Oh, God, well, no. No room for cameras in our little place. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so one of the reasons I was interested in having you on the show is because I work a lot with large companies that are really struggling to get their teams to work effectively. And mm. I have this theory that because of the complexity of business today and the changing global economy, the single uh, leader can't make all the decisions anymore. We really do need teams to be successful. And so I was wondering if you share that. I know you're, using, you're dealing more with smaller companies, but do you see that just the level of complexity that teams are more important today than perhaps many years ago? Oh, a hundred times more so. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for it, right? And by the way, the one thing that hasn't changed, the larger the business is, the more difficult it is to pull that off. Because right. you have layers, you have old thoughts that are working, systems in place that actually do work. And so you're, you're bucking the system in a way by mm-hmm. uh, trying to create thoughtful teams, teams that will lead change within a company, which we all know. Um, is the is the bloodline of a company staying in business and prospering, all right? But yeah. with today, uh, like I notice a huge difference with my young businesses that I'm working with today from Shark Tank versus when I was building my large business. Um, I found that when my business was going from small to medium, I could make all the calls. I could mm-hmm. pres- uh, provide all the inspiration. I could be the leader and no matter how many people I hired, went from 10 people to 500 people, they followed me, and I was able to clearly communicate directly with everyone by bringing them together. You mm-hmm. cannot do that anymore. Everything is not even verbal communications. It's mostly email, texting, whatever, okay? And right. so you're more removed uh, from direct communication. But more importantly is everyone has access to everything. So teams need to be independent of the mother load or the mother body to come up with any creative thought. They need to be able to run free. And mm-hmm. there's not that many leaders that are secure enough to allow that. You know, they just don't allow that because it be, and it's hard and I'm not even criticizing it. It's hard to allow when you're the leader of a company to allow your teams to run free like cowboys and, and try a lot of stuff because 
failure is not welcomed within business. And for mm-hmm. me, it took me a while as I was growing my business to realize that my business was slowing in its growth. And even though I was doing everything I thought as well as I did, and in fact, better than I did, but I realized one day, and I don't even remember now, I wish I could tell you a good story how it clicked, but one day in my head, I I thought, wow, I have to mandate failure. I have to Mm. make sure that people fail and that it's okay here because I was Mm -hmm. getting less creative ideas, uh, less, um, less edgy thoughts, less people coming from the bottom and speaking up. And I'm thinking, what's this about? And it was, we had grown important. And so by our management team being important, by the company image feeling more important, we had more power as we got bigger and bigger in the field and more notoriety, I felt that I found that people were less apt to take risks. And it's not like I asked people not to. It just was a byproduct of getting larger and more important. And so I came up with a very effective system that mandated failure. And I did it on the management level, and I did it right on the right on the street, my street, which is right right in the sales pit where wherever I was working or traveling through. And uh, how I did that is one, I gave all of my managers a fun budget an experiment budget, and they had to spend it every year. And it was exactly, well, it started out at 5%. It went up to close to 10% uh, that they had to... Uh, spend the money on creative things or lose it at the year. At, and the creative things could also include fun things. Because you know what I found? I found whenever I collected um, a very smart managers in a room or sales staff or my own house of representatives, the people who repped for all of the salespeople, which was the power within my firm, whenever I collected them together for brainstorming, on retreat, whatever I did, I got some good stuff. But, you know, if I gave them money to go have a blowout party, ride a horse backwards, go up in a hot air balloon, uh, hire a motorcycle team to come in and rip open the, rip into the picnic that we were having, when I could (laughs) shake it up and have bizarre things happen and piss away the money in essence, that's what I was Mm. doing. Just blow the money, blow the money, just keep trying things. Guess what happened? In drunken stupors, in people who didn't like each other, laughing with each other, they'd collaborate, people who felt competitive, Territorialism went out the drain. If I had people who laughed together and spent money mm. together in a ridiculous sense, I got creativity. And so, you know, that really helped. That stupid 5 to 10% eventually became a 10% budget. That one decision made a heck of a, a um, I don't know how to say it, atmosphere decision and uh, creative juice decision and innovation uh, change in my business. And it continued without my involvement. I was no longer the chief creative officer who thought of all the good ideas. And up to that point, that was me. That was my gift, just like my mother said. But it wasn't enough to, um, to fuel a business that was growing very aggressively and needed to stay on top. Does that make sense? I'm so sorry. I feel like I just talked for five million words without coming up for air. But I hope oh, I conveyed yeah. what I was trying to convey. No, I'm so glad you shared that because it just makes so much sense. And really, I think what happens in terms of, you know, proper team building is you were able to allow them to build trust and empathy for each other and all these things that... And become I think a create, family. Yeah. And then that's what creates the safety for people to take risks. So it's mm-hmm. brilliant. I love it. Um, and, and, and I see... Other- 
I won't, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just, uh, no, let me, please do finish. I just want to mention one other grandstanding thing that I did religiously that helped, but I did want to hear your thought. And I'm so sorry to cut you off like that. Oh, go ahead. that's okay. I was just thinking that one of the things that I see when you were saying about companies, especially the large ones that have a hard time with change and um, even innovation, is th- we see the newer companies like Google and Apple, and they seem to have, I mean, of course, they're very profitable, so it makes it easy, but they have a lot of fun things going on in there. They have ping pong tables and mm-hmm. all these games for people to play together. So, in a way, they've institutionalized some of this, but a lot of the older legacy companies, I'd say like insurance companies, manufacturers, are less able to do this, I think. Um, that oh, was- and uh, believe me, if they got a ping pong table, it would be in slate gray versus yeah. the yellow. You know, it's a little different attitude, hard to do it on those businesses. Yeah, right. I did want to mention uh, one other thing, lest I forget, because I think it made a sizable difference in my business. Once I was mandating a system where where you get creative thoughts and energy and fun going on all the time, uh, it attracted the right talent. The recruiting was much easier. You kind of automatically got people attracted to you that belonged anyway because there was a clear uh, company culture that people either found a little bizarre or they really bought in. Okay, so we had that. But then it remained, what's my role? You know, what's my role? I used to be the fun person, the creative person, and this and that, and I really like that stuff, all right? You know what I changed my role to? Public failure. So everything I tried that I didn't succeed on, I would grandstand. Why? Because I wanted to be the walking symbol of someone that was always reaching and more often than not failing because Mm. it took the stigma out of trying and failing. And so I found that me being the walking, talking example of that and sharing how I felt, my God, I thought I'd jump into a hole. My God, I should have never gone there. But guess what? This is what came out of it. And this is what I learned. Everybody got inspired and free to be themselves and try everything and fail. Whether it be in the sales call, you know, stretching out and doing something totally different or taking the person to a wrong neighborhood or blah, 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 whatever it was, it was okay and it was considered smart because they were like me and I was pretty smart, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a worthy role for me to play. And I got honestly so into it that sometimes I was saying, Jesus, I haven't failed in anything lately. What am I going <laughs> to talk about at the, at the sales meeting four weeks from today, you know? <laughs> What am I going to grandstand, you know? And uh, oh. sometimes I couldn't come up with something, which was a shame, but it, it never more than a quarter went by where I didn't have a great story of what a loser I was, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, that takes a lot of courage, and I think it also invites other people to find that courage uh, as well. Oh, when you, you have to, yeah. Yeah. When you first introduced this culture, and you said you had started to attract people that, were comfortable with it. Did you also have people leave that were not comfortable with it? Yes, very. You know, uh, uh, very often you don't think about the downside when you're enjoying the upside of something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, but I had so few people leave. And you want to know something? They weren't weren't a fit for the business anyway. So I had Mm -hmm. uh, salespeople who were terrific salespeople. And what you don't want to lose in in a company that's all about sales is great salespeople. So I had, uh, I remember two different occasions, I fired one top-notch salesperson because of attitude, which is another way you create a great team spirit to get rid of the 
thorns in the saddle, the naysayers, the negative people, you know, just get rid of them. Uh, it's right. Like, it's like somebody opened the windows and fresh air just blew in, you know. But, yes. Um, and in another instance, I had someone uh, be extremely irate and uh, publicly admonish me in, in my main largest office because when she joined the company, uh, she wanted my help with difficult negotiations. And when I would take a vacation, which was eight weeks a year, that's how I kept my juices going. Even if I had no money or no place to go, I got the heck out of there, you know. <laughs> uh, but when, when uh, she couldn't believe that she couldn't reach me, that I was not reachable, she couldn't believe it. She admonished me, told me how much, not me, but my whole sales staff, the managers, how much she would not tolerate that and stormed out. Everybody was panicked and afraid of telling me when I got back from vacation. <laughs> but guess what? I was happy. I'm like, got rid of that one fast. You know, why did we, have to, we didn't have to waste time with her. She's obviously not right for us. And, you know, everybody was relieved when she walked out. But, but she was wrong in her interpretation. Mm-hmm. What she didn't get, which my other people always got, is when I went on vacation and got away, it was a vote of confidence in my management staff that they could make any decision on my behalf, that I was really not that important to the business, that I couldn't get away a week here and there, you know, or frequently get away. Because, you know what happened? People would, would grow up. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's like leaving the house in the hands of your teenager, which is usually a bad idea. But if you if you entrust them and say, "I really need you to make sure nothing happens to the house," da, 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 if you set them up that way, and I totally trust you, my dear, you know, <laughs> guess what? Yeah. People really rise to the occasion each and every time, and you wind up growing management talent you really didn't know you had, and the company Ooh. becomes bigger because they're not so dependent on mom. You know, you get a mature company. So getting rid of those people, let me tell you, the ones that don't fit in by their choice or by my choice was always the right decision. Because in a team, you need to have, I always think of it it as like a big crayon box. You need to have every color if you're going to be strong. But Mm -hmm. if you have an odd-sized crayon that is just always rubbing the corner of the box and bursting the seam and this and that, it's never good for the box. You know, so you you just got to get people that, different colors are great and so essential, but you need to all fit, you know. And that's an instance of somebody just not fitting, you know, just not ever going to fit. Right. And it sounds like your approach, and we need to go to break, but I just want to see if I've got this, is that you, you hire the right people, but you also create an environment so that the right people are attracted to your companies and the wrong people are not or they leave. Is that Well, you don't even sense? create that environment. What happens, it happens automatically. And that's the mm-hmm. truth if you know your- what your environment should be. Right. Okay. Well, so we are up on a break. My guest is Barbara Corcoran. We're talking about 10 Ways to Lead Your Team to Greatness. Be sure to check out her new book, Shark Tales, which is all the behind the scenes of her life and business and her ability to attract talent and uh, her success in venture capitalism. And I'm Olivia. We'll be back in a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. 
Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with Barbara Corcoran, and we're talking about 10 ways to lead your team to greatness. And before the break, we... Barbara was sharing about her her first company and how she uh, built it up just with her amazing skills as an ins- inspiring and fun person who could attract talent and, and really just motivate people and, and had a good talent for uh, attracting the right people. And, I, um, and she mentioned also the importance of allowing for failure and actually role modeling failure, which I thought was great. So I'd love for you to share some of the other ways you, uh, maybe some tips for our listeners to lead their team to greatness. What would be your next tip, I guess? Um, well, I, it's, I think it's in the area of knowing who to hire in the first place. Uh, because, you know, we all have opportunities to hire who we want. It's a great uh, privilege you have if you're building your own business. And what I found, I found a shortcut for hiring people that was tremendously, or hiring the right people, which was tremendously useful. And um, I like to say it like I know that there are really only two kinds of people in the workforce, and I really believe this. I know it sounds too narrow. (laughs) For me, I found that a person was either by their very nature an expander type personality, you know, someone who wants to see how far they could go, someone who's a little bit, uh, certainly not risk-aversive, uh, they can sometimes be way off. They can sometimes drink too much. They, it's mm-hmm. a certain personality. Uh, but in the in the uh, in the team environment, uh, that's usually the person who's very uh, personable, uh, mm-hmm. who is not afraid of taking chances. And I call that kind of personality an expander. All right. And then okay. there's the other type on the opposite end of the spectrum, and I call these people the containers. And the container is the type of person who really likes to have things in order, who wants to make sure if it happens once, it's going to happen again. Someone who sizes something up, very left-brainy type person from the left side of their head, analyzes things, and is very, very good at that and, and making sure that uh, money's not 
flowing out the door if they're in a capacity like that. And I learned this by accident the day my future business partner, Esther Kaplan, walked in for a sales interview. And everything about her I knew within a split second just from the way she dressed. She was like a Jewish version of Mother Teresa sitting in front of my chair, right? (laughs) And I thought this lady could never sell. And she was an executive secretary for a law firm. I thought that was the appropriate position for her from what she said. But she wanted to go into sales. And by just pot luck, when I handed her my business card telling her I'll call you if the position opened, which I actually had like 30 empty desks, I was desperate to fill positions, but when I told her I'd call her, if a position opened, she filed my business cards, my singular card, with such caution in her tiny little class purse and hold it <laughs> above the purse as to where she was going to put them. I'm like, I don't believe this. And then she tipped a purse, and within it, she actually had partitions, little file, those little <laughs> file cards, and they were they were labeled. I couldn't tell what the labels were, but I could clearly see each one had a label, and she filed my card somewhere. And I immediately turned in my thinking about her and thought, this is who I've been waiting for. This lady could take over the personnel, the file Mm -hmm. systems, the employee policies, the finance. I knew from that action that she was probably the best container I would ever meet in my whole life. And she certainly was. And so I hired her the following week. I offered 10% of my business, paid over 1% per year for the next 10 years because I couldn't afford to pay her for administrative duties, and I allowed her to sell, which she was okay at but never great at. But, boy, was she good at the rest. And you know what she did? She set me free to be Mm. the expander that I naturally was because she was so naturally gifted as a container. I remember going out for my first credit line again and again and again, which I desperately needed. I never got. I sent Esther out. She came back with twice as much as I needed. Ah. The bankers trusted her. She was just that type of lady that everybody totally knew what she said A would lead to B, lead to C was totally true. I said the same thing. They didn't believe me, you know, and I was thinking I was being truthful. If I had an ad campaign and three different ad campaigns were pitched to me, I would run them into Esther and say, which one do you like the best? She would take 20 minutes. I could have knitted a sweater waiting for her response. And she would then say, anyone but that one. It made her so uncomfortable. And I would just run out and use that ad campaign because that's how bad she was at advertising. It was opposite to her nature. And so I learned from Esther early on that there's really only two kinds of people at the workforce that people are naturally inclined to be, which are expanders by nature or containers by nature. And if you could stick people in the right position that taps into that talent, you're going to have a happy employee. And so I did that for the rest of my life, opening every new office. I would never, ever think of opening with a great expander who could recruit, who could uh, get everybody going, who could motivate, who could make the office fun unless I had an Esther a join at the right hip that was going to perform that function, hold it back, contain it, make sure that the great idea wasn't forgotten about, that it was institutionalized, that way it was going to happen again, that the files were in order, that they could find the listings, all of that good stuff that makes a company run like a well-oiled machine. And that's what Esther provided, that lesson for me. And so I always, in interviewing everyone, including on Shark Tank today, listening to the entrepreneurs, I'm, are they expanders or containers? And you know, surprisingly, even on Shark Tank, I would say that two-thirds of the businesses I hear from are led by containers. 
Oh, they got no. their business plan in order. They know exactly what they're going to do. They've done this analysis. And guess what? That business ain't going anywhere unless you have some wild-ass expander on the front side. And I'm out mentally right away, before I, long before I say it. What I find, even in those businesses, is that businesses are flying. Most of them are partnerships. And most of them have two people at the lead, an ester and a barb, an expander and a container. And those are the ones I'm always buying into. And those are the ones that are making me the money. And so I've learned that again and again. I don't think a business uh, without having both those extreme types at the lead ever really succeed or the extreme types at the lead of the team don't really exceed either. I just don't believe so. And I'm sure I'm being narrow-minded in my thinking there. But for me, I found that worked very, very well for me. Oh, that that makes a lot of sense. And I realize I need an Esther right now. So if there's well, any Esther's listening. Do, let me tell you. <laughs> Yep. And it's and, uh, the hardest hire, the first one you do, because you can't justify, well, how can I put the money out? I mean, I'm not sure I have the business. I'm not sure I'll occupy their time. The minute you hire your first one, which I convinced a thousand salespeople to do over my lifetime, my great, my top thousand salespeople in my life, the minute they hire them, guess what? The drawer got full. It was like a closet. You found all the stuff to fill it, but making that first leap of faith that you actually have the capacity to mm-hmm. occupy someone else with the follow-through of what you start is a hard thing for most expanders to do. But once they do it once, you're going to get them to do it another 50 times, no problem, and they'll build giant teams behind them because they have the talent to be at the lead and to actually utilize people in that fashion. Mm-hmm. And I could see an expander could run a business maybe so far. It's kind of, what I think, what you were implying. A contractor could never grow a business, but mm-hmm. an expander could never get past a certain point without a... Container, I mean, sorry, yeah. Well, you know what? They can get to a certain point, as you said, but they won't do well because their own um, chaos and and need for constant change and thriving Mm -hmm. on... on starts versus finishes, which is all the nature of an expander. That's where the interest lies. Uh, Only goes so far. Yes, and so you are absolutely correct in saying that. Well, that's that's really interesting. And I guess, well, one of the things when you were talking, I imagine a container would have a very neat desk and a contractor would have papers everywhere, right? Yes, well, you know, how people do things, I think, can fool you. Um, for example, I'm extremely neat, and you'll never find mm-hmm. anything on my desk. I like to tend to everything, get away with it. So you'd think that would imply um, a um, um, a container type, but no, what it, oh. what it is for me is my needs. What I'm doing is I'm delegating it out, just getting rid of it because it's so boring. I can't stand looking at it a second day. So it can work. It's not, the desk isn't always a true barometer, mm-hmm. but talk to the person and see what their passion is and see what turns them on and where they get their satisfaction from. Mm-hmm. And you're going you're gonna to readily spot uh, who's in front of you, which type of person. Yeah. If you can right. see what their motivation and where their satisfaction comes from. Got it. Oh, that's great. Well, we have uh, another about five minutes before the next break. Could you so share more? Um, you want more? Okay. I want more. Yes. Okay. I might as well. Um, I think equally important to uh, in building a team because I know that's our subject. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting the right people in and motivating them uh, is essential. But you also have to have a system for getting rid of the clunkers. And in a sales organization that I had built through the Corcoran Group, um, the truth is no matter how carefully you hire salespeople with no experience, only a third of them are ever going to make it 
And out of those third, only one of those are going to, one out of three are going to make it really big, making millions of dollars a year, which is what you're always after, right? So I created a system for shooting the dogs early, as the Southerners like to say. And the reason that expression is so good, I don't mean people are dogs, but in the South, they say if the dog's barking early in the morning, go out and shoot him because he's going to be barking all day long, which is true, you know, if you ever live next to a barking dog. But... What I created was a system where everybody was ranked on production from the top person, whether I had 50 people or whether I had 800 people, from the top to the bottom based on commissioned earnings. Mm. And I would turn over the bottom 20% of my company faithfully every quarter. Whoever fell to the bottom, they were noticed. They were going out unless they could turn around. They had three more months to turn around. We'd do everything in our power to turn them around. But if they couldn't make sales, what were they doing in the sales business, you know? Mm. And so having a system to um, to uh, keep your company clean of who belongs there in terms of sales talent, which was what I was doing then, and now I do it with the little companies depending upon what their what their you know what kind of the nature of their business. You got to get rid of you got to get rid of the people that don't belong there, or it lugs the company down. You have overhead. Uh, that should be spent on pushing the good people ahead. But but it's like having a leak on the back end, you know, if you don't have talented people who are going to languish on the vine. And you want to know, my partner Esther used to say, when I fired somebody, which was constantly firing people as much as I was hiring people, she said they left my office looking like they got a promotion. And you want to know, <laughs> that's the way I looked at it, because they did get a promotion. They got promoted to go on with life and find their true calling somewhere else. Yeah. Because I would just tell them, here's what, is great about you. Here's what you lack in terms of your ability to sell. It's not your personality. Okay. And here's what I envision you doing. Here's things that I want to brainstorm with you on fields that I think you'd be phenomenal at. And I would give that a lot of thought and really be genuine and offer to to be a reference for them in any time. And so people really were happy to leave. They were relieved. You know, the best thing about firing is somebody does it for you. You don't have to wait and fire yourself, right? And right. that's an easier thing for people. So shooting the dogs early or a system for that within a business, especially as it gets larger, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is essential, you know? Um, now that I know we only have five minutes, I'm going to jump faster because I want to give you your money's worth. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is recognition being a better motivator than any money in the world. Mm. If you can publicly recognize people and brag about them in front of other people, not ingenuously, if there's such a word, but really genuinely what they just did, that little thing they did that sets an example for everybody else. They are going to love you forever and do it again and again and again because you, sh- because you took the flashlight and put it over their head. I used to have a system for, uh, we had no million-dollar sales. We were a low-priced firm, and yet the big, powerful players were doing million-dollar deals. This was back in the 80s, and we had our highest sales, like 200 and something thousand. I was upset. I wanted to be a million-dollar production company. And so guess what got me there? I ordered 50 big gold horse ribbons big enough to hang on the side of a horse's head and I printed million dollars on each one and I held it up at our Monday morning sales meeting and said, the first person who makes a million dollar deal on the buy, sell, sell or the sell side gets a million dollar ribbon from me. I wonder who's going to be first. Everybody laughed. They thought it was ridiculous. Well, guess what? A young, naive, gay salesman that had been at the firm three, <laughs> three weeks went out and got the Getty Mansion, believe it or not, through his ah. dental hygienist, the first big listing we ever got because he was focused on getting that ribbon. Once Ron Rossi got that ribbon, all my 
big salespeople, big in their mind, got so jealous, they got motivated. I handed out more gold ribbons that people posted on their bulletin board in the next five years than I could order fast enough. Why? Because people love public recognition. If the next guy's going to have his big gold ribbon sitting over his phone, the person next to him who thinks they're a hot shot is going to get jealous and get motivated. And so recognition I use... I use recognition again and again, whatever I could think of. Even my top salesperson, Carrie Chiang, who was making the most money, 10 times more than anyone else, when I rolled out a gold chair for her, gold fabric, wasn't real gold, and awarded it to her because of her phenomenal success. She even produced twice, well, maybe not twice as much, but she kicked in even more money the following year because she was the only person in the whole company that had a gold chair, and she pointed it out to every client that came in. <laughs> Look at my gold chair. My gold chair. Bobby gave me my gold chair. And, uh, forgive me for imitating her, but she loves me to imitate her. She calls once a year oh, and asks but... me to imitate her. So what I'm saying <laughs> is she was driven by that gold chair, same chair as everybody else. I just had the thoughtfulness to have a real pulse in that gold, shiny fabric, you know? But the oh, recognition is what I, what I the point the the point I wanted I wanted to say. Um, can I squeeze in one more? And I'm not even letting you talk because you said five Actually, minutes. Actually, I'm nervous because I don't even think are, I got the ten in. Are we, okay? <laughs> we are past the break. Okay. Pardon me. Yeah, we quiet. are. But um, but when we come back, I would love to. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to continue with that. And I just um, want to add that I think this is something that is lacking in a lot of large companies. So I hope people listening in large companies take this to heart. And my guest today is Barbara Corcoran, and we're talking about 10 ways to lead your team to greatness. Hopefully we'll get it all 10, but if not, we can have it available online somewhere. Um, but I'm Olivia, and we'll be back in a minute. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with Barbara Corcoran. We're talking about 10 ways to lead your 
Team to Greatness. And I want to remind everybody, Barbara is one of the sharks on ABC's hit show Shark Tank. And her new book, Shark Tales, is out. And I encourage you to get that. So before the break, we were talking about a couple more tips for leading a team. One is letting go of people quickly if they're not going to work And the big one, public recognition, which I feel is just so important. And so what is your next tip for our listeners? Well, I think in the hiring process, I think I was always guided by one simple principle, which is I always hired attitude over experience. And it's so easy and comforting, I find, to look at a resume and see that someone has done what you are hiring for before and that they have an expertise there in some regard. But what I learned after a few years of hiring people, whether it be uh, as a receptionist at the front board who is going to be the smile on your company or the frown on your company forevermore, or whether it was a general sales manager that was going to have 500 people working for them, I found that the higher the position was, the more likely I was to lean on the resume. And I found that that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. So what I learned to do is in hiring people to not read the resume, believe it or not, right? And just say, tell me about yourself. And then they they would just start talking and tell me about the work experience and tell me about, yeah, where did you grow up and what was your mom like? Whatever, a chit-chat kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And what was Mm -hmm. I really sizing up more than anything? Their level of optimism. Because one thing I found is you can teach any optimistic person anything and they will excel at it. Okay, unless, let's say you're hiring someone, of course, this would be an exception. If you're hiring someone as an accountant and they have no wherewithal with numbers, that's like shooting a, you know, that's the wrong tree. But in any kind of people management position or people interaction kind of position versus like a left brain technical position, I ignored mm-hmm. the resume and searched out and rated in my mind that person's attitude. And if mm-hmm. they got a 10, I would then look at the resume and start querying them about their particular work experience in that field. But it really didn't amount to much because I already decided I was hiring them. It was almost like a, uh, a goodbye conversation at the tail end of the, of the interview before the offer came. And I found that whenever, earlier on in my career, I hired experience because it made perfect sense. They're perfect for this. They're perfect for that. They did this at the... I would overlook that attitude card. And let me tell you, they may have been good at what they did or pretty good, but they were never great. But I learned to pay attention to the attitude over the experience every time and never made another mistake whenever I let that be my guiding principle. So I I just wanted to point that, that out in the hiring process. And for people who are involved in hiring salespeople, which is one of the most difficult things in the world to spot a salesperson before they ever sell, which when you're a young business, that's what you got. You don't get experienced salespeople coming at you and banging down your door, which I got after I was in business 10 years. But for the first 10 years, how did I do that with the salespeople? I had, I had two methods that sped that up and that I got pretty good at. One was before the interview when I had giant career nights, I needed 30 desks filled. And what was I going to put an ad in and hire one person at a time or interview one person at a time when I had my playful and had no time. What I did is I had giant career nights. Everything you ever want to know about selling in real estate come, and that's what I would advertise. And when people walked in, I had two bulletin boards that I controlled in my hand, not bulletin boards. What do you call those boards with a clip on the top? Clipboards. I had two of them with lines across, and it just called for their name, their phone number, and later, as time went by, their email. And I would 
hand them a clipboard to sign in and greet them with a nice smile. And if they looked to me like they weren't a salesperson, I handed them a pencil to sign in. And if they looked like they looked great and high energy, just the vibe I initially got, I handed them a pen to sign in. They didn't realize that difference. They were just signing in in their book, okay, on my clipboards. But when they started calling me for the position, if they really liked what they heard that night, I knew anybody who called who had their name in pencil, I didn't even interview them. I just knew I didn't like them right on first sight. And if they had in pen, bam, I invited them in for the interview right away because they looked good. They looked the part. They looked like they might have the energy of a salesperson on first blush, you know? Boy. So that was useful in the salespeople arena. And then the other thing that was useful is when I would interview them, I would just say to them, do you mind if I share with you the two things that each of my terrific salespeople have in common because one of them I'm getting from you, but one of them I'm not. And they, of course, say, of course, you know, who's going to say no to the boss who's interviewing them? And then right. I say, you know, I feel like my best salespeople are great at people. And from what you said, you're great at people, blah, 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 blah. And I'd cite back to them what they said that would tie into that, which is easy to find in the conversation. And mm-hmm. they would agree, oh, yeah, I'm great at people. I never met anyone who thought they weren't great at people, by the way. <laughs> and then I'd say, but the other thing, you know, I said, I don't sense any ego driving you. I don't, I don't sense this, like, this real need to win, this real, you know, I don't feel that at all from you. And that's essential in sales because you have to be insecure enough that you strive like that. You know, I don't get that from you. I don't think it's there. Ah. And I would just shut my mouth and watch what they did with that insult. And you want to know, the bad salespeople who were going to be bad salespeople, they didn't have the talent, they would go, oh, no, no, I'm driven. I mean, yes, when I was blah, 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 blah. And the good salespeople, I could almost say they want to reach across the desk and kill me. They were like, <laughs> What? That's what I want to hear. I wanted to hear that music. I wasn't even listening to what they said, their example. I want to hear that music. And then I would hire them. And you want to know, I could never think of a better way to hire great, potentially great salespeople than that. And once I landed on that, I taught it with my management staff, that little insult trick, see what they do with it. And, you know, uh-huh. it really separated the men from the boys and the women from the girls every time. I bet, because you were sort of looking for outrage, I think, right? Outrage, yeah, in a, in a polite yeah. way. You know, they weren't going yeah. to kill me, but they really no. didn't like hearing that, you know? Not at right. all. Right, it was like yeah. so insulting that they were ready to walk away almost or something like that. Um, Absolutely. Instead of, the, instead of the neediness. And I like the fact you mentioned a vibe, and I guess I'd just like to know if you relate that to intuition or do you feel like you have good intuition? It seems to me like that's a lot of what you're using, which is great. Well, it's, yeah, it's so much intuition on people, is it not? But I'll tell mm. you, people are smarter than they're ever, all people are smarter than you ever give them credit for. When you walk into any room of people in a social situation, and if you could get anyone there, to be interviewed immediately with, without anyone else hearing them. And you could say to them right after they shook hands and had a small conversation with someone, what do you think of that guy? <laughs> if they can oh. honestly say he's a creep, or she seems like a cheapskate, or what a phony baloney, or the myriad of ways you could describe people on first blush, most people can size the people, I find, you know? Mm. But not everybody trusts their own instinct on it. They rationalize yes. it away or doubt themselves. So I say it's a cross between confidence and intuition. And uh-huh. most people have the intuition, definitely. And not everybody, uh, I think, has the confidence or has been taught to listen to it, I guess, or mm. had the life experience to know that it's right. 
right? Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'd like my listeners to take away is that you do. And then people, I, I like incur- to encourage people to tap into it more and play with it and, you know, see, see if they can learn to trust it if they don't. All right. So we've got maybe five, six minutes left. How about some more tips if you have some? Okay. Let me just think of what I should pull out of my little note list here. Mm. On high, uh, do you mind one other thing on hiring people? Because so much nope. of your skill in building a business, I think, is winding up with the right material to build on, and the material in building a business are the people. So mm-hmm. um, sure. I found uh, I found my best salespeople, my best support people, my best management talent long before um, I had a need for them. So, for example, the woman who runs all of sales for like 3,000 brokers today uh, at, at the Corcoran Group, um, I, I found, because she was an airline stewardess who had a phenomenal attitude, totally in control, uh, great big personality, uh, and I recruited her immediately as a salesperson. She was talented as a salesperson, talented, motivating people, just like she got her airline passengers in coach all 300 of us, whatever, what a big plane that day. She was getting everybody to do exactly what she wanted, clearing the aisles, sitting down on time with a smile, serving the food, getting the car through. And I thought, she's, she's great, this woman. Everybody loved her. And what does she do? She's a great manager. She's a great manager, whether you're managing on the, on the aisle of the air, airline. So my point here, and that was Teresa Hall, who is running the business today. But mm. my point here is that I always recruited talent whenever I saw it, and then I tried to figure out what kind of job I had for them. You know, I came on my business card and say, hey, uh, if you're ever thinking of leaving the airline business, if you're, ever, if you're ever thinking of leaving this hotel, if you're ever thinking of whatever, please give me a call. You, you would, I, I just know you're phenomenal at what you do, and I could have you do something very different that you might even enjoy more. They were enjoying their work. It wasn't like they were miserable people. And you know what? When they called, mm-hmm, I was so happy sit them in my office, remind myself. Sometimes it was a year later, two years later, but sit down. Oh, I remember you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what was I doing? I'm trying to think, what job do I have that would fit this person? And mm-hmm. you want to know, when you wrap a job around the personality versus try to find the right personality, once you have the job, your odds of success and happy people go up tenfold, I believe. You know, And they grow with you. And they, it's just it's a whole different way of hiring. Uh, whereas most people do hire once they see a position that's available. I always believed in pre-hiring or, or juicing the people line or the pipeline of people long before I thought I would have a need for them. And it was mm-hmm. a tremendously uh, successful way to get very happy, very talented people in the company in all different kinds of roles, you know. I remember, uh, by way of example, even within the company, um, I was doing all the advertising writing on the classified ads. I only had like, I guess, 40, 50 people. I was exhausted writing 18 ads a week, trying to be creative. I was a great writer. And, and I'm thinking, uh, getting the ad deadlines in on time so the salespeople don't get upset. And then one day I walked by a brand new salesperson who has a meticulous desk, to your earlier point. She was a drop-dead gorgeous dresser on a shoestring budget. I could tell her clothes were inexpensive, but what a way she had with putting color together. She had the desktop arranged with a couple of articles that were just perfect to look at, pretty little things on her desk. And mm. she was buttoned up, and I said, how would you like to lose this job as a salesperson and become my advertising manager? 
She said, what does it entail? I said, come on, I'll tell you about it. And we manufactured a whole advertising manager thing, you know. And was she, Anita Perone, fabulous at that? Yes. And what did I do? I built, it wasn't like I needed an advertising manager. I built a job around her talent. Aesthetically, she had a great eye. She's organized. She was very clear with her words. Great communicator. Perfect advertising manager. And she held that position until the day I sold that business. Never had to change that position. No one could have been better. She was recruited from all my competition. She never left because I found her. What loyalty was that from having seen the light? You know, you guarantee loyalty. You don't have to worry about that ever again, you know? Yes, that's so great. Well, I... It's hard to believe, but we are out of time. Well, and I God, because I can't think of the next point to <laughs> <that> save me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's so much richness in all of your hiring tips and managing people, which is, you know, kind of what the whole team is. So I really appreciate you being on the show today. I do hope you'll come back and visit us again. Well, I don't know if I have anything else to say, Olivia, so I doubt it. (laughs) Well, I'll follow you, and if you have anything inspirational, I'll get a hold of you. How's that? (laughs) It sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Next week, my guest will be John Spence, one of uh, the top 100 business thought leaders in America. And he's going to share with us how to make the very complex, awesomely simple So you really won't want to miss this. I'm your host, Olivia Parud, saying thank you for tuning into Quantum Business Insights and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parud, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.